So I'd like to return um, perhaps next week to our studies in Numbers and the Wilderness Wandering. I have a personal problem. I don't mind sharing. Uh, there are some places in the Bible that are just a little bit depressing. And so I have to just take a break every once in a while. I'm serious about that. Second Samuel is one of those. I'll, I'll study Second Samuel, but that's, that's those chapters that deal with the turmoil in David's family. And they're important for us to learn, no doubt. But it's, it's, um, you know, it's hard for me personally to read through those. And then the book of Numbers is, has some great parallels for our, our lives today, no doubt. But how many times do those people murmur as, just as soon as they got over the Red Sea, uh, the murmuring began? And I don't know if it ever stopped. Um, but there are many wonderful lessons that we will continue to draw uh, from the book of Numbers. But I'd like to take a break from that and look at Asaph in, um, in Psalm 73. And these um, words from Asaph in Psalm 73 um, are so meaningful to us. Let me read the first few verses and then we'll just kind of see the direction we're going to go. Psalm 73, a psalm of Asaph. Truly God is good to Israel, verse 1, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So... Do we have similar difficulties that Asaph is admitting to here in this psalm? I think it's a wonderful thought that this man is willing to share with us the fact that he had some troubles. Now at the end of the psalm, uh, he is walking close to God. So the end is, is better than the uh, beginning in many ways. But do we have... Uh, these kinds of difficulties when it comes to what other people are doing. In other words, do we occasionally have trouble in our own faith because of what other people may or may not be doing in their faith? That relates to Asaph here in Psalm uh, 73. Do we have uh, trouble with uh, good things happening for bad people? You know, there's a couple of those questions that come before us. Why do bad things happen to good people? But then also, why do good things happen to bad people? And this seems to be part of Asaph's problem, at least for a little while. And that was that he had problems with the bad people receiving good things. And so let's just ask that question to all of us before we get into the psalm. How do you deal with that question of why do good things happen to bad people. His trouble is the, the prosperity of the wicked. So let me hear your answer to that just from the very uh, outset here. You have a problem with good things happening to bad people or people not serving God. 
You have to look at the end results. Okay? And this is where ASAP is going to go here in just a moment. The end results. Why do good things happen to what we might term bad people? Paul's saying that this, the question is, and that he's right, it's a little bit subjective, and that is, uh, it's a little bit too broad because um, we're not really defining good and bad other than uh, good things happening physically uh, to those who are serving in a wicked uh, way. But um, Mike touched on probably the best answer if you want to ask why. Why do good things happen to bad people why, at least from the standpoint of God, why do good things happen to bad people? And the, the, the correct answer there is God is trying to reach them. God, the reason God blesses is because God wants people to recognize where the blessings come from, the source of those blessings, and that they would be so touched in their heart that they would want to seek Him and perhaps uh, hopefully turn uh, to him. Turn your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 5 for a second. Matthew 5. Beginning in verse 43, Matthew 5 beginning in verse 43, Jesus saying, You've heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies... And pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For, notice this, He makes His Son to rise on the evil and on the good. And His sins rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father uh, is perfect. That's a pretty high calling there in those words from Jesus. But in the midst of those words, he's saying, God blesses both the just and the unjust, and the good and the bad. And we know the heart of God. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4, He would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Everything He does flows from that thought that desire. Now, we do have songs, I believe Brother James mentioned this Sunday, we have songs that talk a lot about walking with God. And, and yes, those songs are to be taken in a, in a symbolic uh, manner. That we don't have God walking with us uh, personally like Jesus was walking on the earth uh, at one time. Okay. Um, I love the statement about Noah in Genesis 6, uh, 9 and 10, right after it says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It says that um, Noah was perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. There's one other thing it says there about Noah. But it says at least those two things. He was a just man, yes. He was just a righteous, he was just or a righteous man, 
He was perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. And it's an interesting study to look at the various places in Old Testament and New Testament Scripture to talk about our walk with God. For if you haven't done this in a while, just taking the book of Ephesians itself and reading through, looking for the word walk, uh, is very interesting. I think it's um, Ephesians uh, 5 talks about walking in love. And Ephesians 5 talks about walk in wisdom, okay, redeeming the time, and that kind of thing. Look over though, let's, let's look at Psalm, Psalm number uh, 37 for just a minute, because Asaph here is referring to the fact that that his feet, that his walk with God almost was totally detoured. It was almost um, non-existent because of some of the personal problems he had. Look over in uh, Psalm 37 and look at 23. Psalm 37, 23. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. Now, this is easy for us to pick up on because physically we experience almost fall. Now, some of us have complete fault. And there is a lady here at church, and I, I could tattle on her, and it would be funny. I'm not going to tattle on, tattle on her, but she had a little fall the other day, and she's good. She's okay. She's walking around, but she had a fall. I mean, sometimes you fall, and you just don't even realize you have fallen until... You're down there and you're looking up at the, at the sky. There are certain times when we are more careful. When, when things are wet outside, we are more careful. Or it could be that when we're in a wet situation. I know we had a group the other day that went canoeing. And getting in a canoe is because there's little foundation there. You have to be really careful about your steps. When you're out hiking and you're going from rock to root, and you're not really familiar with the next step, then you have to be uh, careful. That's all the fun in life, but spiritually speaking, our walk with the Lord uh, can become treacherous if we allow things to uh, distract us. And that's what Asaph is talking about. Look at Psalm number uh, 40. Psalm number 40. Beginning in verse 1, Psalm 40 and verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord, David said. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of a miry bog. And he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. That's how important it is for us 
to make sure our steps are right with the Lord because as we do that, others will see that and put their trust in the Lord as well. We have to make sure our steps are secure. Now going here to Psalm 73, what I want to do is read through this and then I want you to answer two questions. First question is, what are some things that made his feet slippery? And then how did he recover? What are some things that made his feet slippery? So look for that as we read through Psalm 73. And then also look for things that happen to help his recovery. Psalm 73, beginning again in verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs unto death, and their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Their pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness and their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. In a lofty way they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. They say, how can God know? They say, is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease, they increase in their riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. Verse 16. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task, a tiresome task, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Truly you set them in slippery places, you make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you... Rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will receive me to glory. Whom whom, Whom do I have in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Okay, so what do you see there that made his feet uh, slippery? And then what do you see here that helped Asaph to recover his faith? It's a beautiful song uh, to consider. Have you ever uh, been either on an ice skating rink or a roller skating rink and noticed an adult 
someone bigger trying to help someone younger and smaller uh, to learn to skate. The, the smaller one will continue to fall and then the bigger one will uh, hold their hand and lift them up until finally they're able to skate on their own. And so in our walk with God, we've got to help each other to walk with God until finally we're mature enough to walk and help others uh, to walk. So what do you see here that had caused him to become slippery in his faith in God? Houston says that at, at the beginning here, Asaph is, is focusing mainly on material things, uh, things that would eventually go away. And at, toward the end of the psalm, he seems to recognize that more in a, more, in a greater way. So Aaron's saying that in the beginning he seems to be focused more on what he's not getting. He's not focused on his blessings. He's focused on more on what other people uh, are receiving. So he's, he's um, what did you say, envying and coveting. Word in mind is envying, which means he's being covetous. Yeah, he's envying. Yeah, he's envying. So therefore he is coveting what someone else has and that's something God calls upon us uh, certainly not to do. Okay. We have a um, instruction in Hebrews uh, 13, 5 and 6. Uh, Beware of covetousness or greed. And he says, and be content with such things as you have. And then the Hebrew writer follows that up by saying, uh, the Lord will never leave you nor forsake you. So do not fear what man might do to you. All right. So yes, uh, he fo- seemed to focus more on material things here at the beginning, and he also was becoming envious of what others had, even to the point maybe of even coveting what they had. You might recall that that Pilate, Matthew twenty-seven he recognized that the Jews were delivering Jesus to him because of envy. Because of envy. And I find that always, we, we've read that a thousand times, we know that's, that's true, but I still find it interesting. Yeah. Matthew twenty-seven eighteen, For Pilate knew it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Even a man like that, even a man uh, so weak that he could see the innocence of Jesus and yet not find the strength to release him, even a man of this kind of character can see envy. That, that tells us that that jealousy, envy, coveting needs to be far from us as followers of 
Jesus because this is something the world can clearly see. This becomes part of our makeup in any sort of fashion, then um, it clearly becomes a mark of a bad example. So what else do you see here that causes his uh, steps to become uh, slippery? So you're saying pride? How, how? Okay. Notice um, verse 6, Mike, Mike says pride. Okay. What he's talking about there is that he is complaining that the wicked um, have their things that they have and they're prideful about it. They, they walk around, they strut around, they, they talk about their pride, they talk about how they got these things and why they got these things and they throw it in your face. And so this is part of his continual uh, complaint about that. One mistake that he's making here, of course, is that he would compare himself to other people. The Lord doesn't want us uh, doing this. This is... Um, an evil that the New Testament brings out in two or three different places. Uh, let's look at, uh, turn with me to, to 2 Corinthians 10 and notice a short verse there, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10. Paul is having to defend himself here in 2 Corinthians. Um, There were those in Corinth who were trying to throw doubt on his um, being an apostle, a true apostle. So he he says in verse 12, 2 Corinthians 10 verse 12, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. The Lord doesn't want us doing that. He doesn't want us comparing ourselves with others, no matter who it is, whether it's a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ or those of the world. The Lord knows that the quickest way for us to become who we're supposed to become is to examine ourselves Make sure our walk with God is strong, our steps are secure, and then others will then uh, be interested in doing uh, the same. Take a look down at verse 13. He's, always, he's also feeling sorry for his son. All right. In verse 13, Aaron is saying he seems to be having a pity party. He seems to be feeling sorry for himself, uh, saying, it's in vain that I have kept my heart clean. I have, in other words, he's saying, Asaph is, he said, I've worked hard to try to resist temptation. I've tried to keep my heart uh, pure. But what good does it do? 
the wicked seem to keep prospering and I have, I have nothing. I don't seem to be making any impact into the world whatsoever. It all seems to be in vain. Now, suppose someone says that to you, which there are a lot of people that feel that way. And maybe we ourselves feel that way sometimes. Is it, is it in vain that we're, that we're trying to keep up our faith? Is it, is it doing any good whatsoever uh, for ourselves or for the world? So what would you say if someone is in the same vein of thinking as Asaph here? Okay, Mark, saying you might say that this world is not our home. Okay, the focus ought to be beyond uh, this life. Okay. All right, Chris, you're saying that when we ha- when we're in this state of mind, whether pity party or just thinking all is in vain. If you start serving others and not thinking of yourself, then that would help uh, come out of this little pit that he seems to have crawled in himself. Is it true that we serve God in vain? Is it true? How do we know that? Is, Is it in vain that we stay faithful? Is it in vain that we that we keep our heart clean? No. Only if you've not put on There is a way of living a life where it does become in vain. Uh, since we're in Psalms, look at Psalm 127 for a second. Psalm 127. Aaron, read for us um, verse. One and two. Psalm one twenty seven verses one and two. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Okay. So there is a way of living life in such a way that it, it is all empty. It is all useless. And that is if we're not serving the Lord. If the Lord is not the center, if He's not the whole desire of our heart as we live, then it, all, it is all in vain. As Psalm 127 says here, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who, who build it. Unless the Lord watches over the city, unless the watchman, stays away, the watchman will stay awake uh, in city, it is vain to rise up early and stay up late to put all this effort into life and then to, in the end, uh, it's all been for naught. Jesus asked the question, what shall profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Matthew 16 and 26. So good thoughts there on the fact that, it, that uh, he looked at it as being in vain. Turn over to uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 15 as well. Make sure we have this in our mind as we think about living a life that's not in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, 
Of the Lord, since Jesus was raised from the dead, and since we have such a wonderful hope of life with Jesus after this life, therefore, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The work in the Lord is not in vain. And along with that, I always like to read Isaiah chapter uh, 55. It might, be, it might have been a while since you marked uh, this verse, but it's great to mark uh, this one as well. Isaiah 55. Um, beginning in verse 10. Isaiah 55, beginning in verse 10. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and to sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose. It shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So that's, this was a, a problem that Asaph was having. His feet were beginning to slip because he felt like all his efforts were in vain. I think sometimes parents get in that mode of thinking. They're putting in a lot of hours and things seem to be going the same way and you can't really see that this is going to turn out uh, in any wonderful fashion because you're in the routine of every day. Sometimes our children don't always do as we want them uh, to do. But the Lord says... To hang on. Keep sowing. Keep doing right. Keep being the good example. Keep sowing. Keep doing right. Keep being the good example. Just over and over again. And He will bring it to pass. Uh, he will, you know, what we sow uh, will we'll reap good things. Aaron's saying that not just with Asaph, but as we've been studying with uh, the Israelites, uh, they were in the habit of giving up. We've been reading in the book of Numbers, uh, just almost instantaneously as they came through all over the Red Sea, they begin to say, what's the point of this? We don't see the promised land. Let's go back to Egypt. At least we were safe and secure there. In Egypt, we we had more security there, and so they they uh, seem to want to give up awful fast. What else do you see here that might help us uh, to not let our feet begin to slip? What was Asaph doing here, where he that made him say, "My feet almost slipped. I was almost gone." He said, "I was almost gone." Yeah, that's going to begin his recovery there. Mike mentions that he went into the sanctuary of God. That's going to begin uh, his recovery. Is there anything else we need to say in regard to his, his slipping? What, what causes human beings to slip? Uh, this is a good man. He, he, he wants to serve God, but he is 
He got captured upon the prosperity of the wicked. And is that still a problem today? We've got to teach our children. Our children are getting with us all the time. Classmates, everybody, I got something better than you are. My parents make more money than yours does. Yeah. I wear eyes on, I wear all this stuff. You can't afford it. You're not as good as we are. We have to teach our children how to think. Train, get rid of the negative thinking thing. To be leaders, to have faith in God. Think about um, his vision here. His vision. When he's thinking about the prosperity of the wicked, his vision is, as a human being, is, uh, is not as good as God. Uh, one thing that Jesus was fabulous about when he was on earth is he could see right into the heart of a man. He can know what's going on inside of them. We only see the outward. The most miserable condition in life is to not have that peace that comes from serving Christ. That's, that's one thing that we can't see. And so Asaph here, his vision is very narrow in that uh, he can't see what other persons are actually dealing with on the inside. Think about uh, Saul of Tarsus, New Testament Saul of Tarsus. He was, he, he was really a star. He was a leader in the, in the Phariseeism, the, the Pharisees and the Jews. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. You can read his list of, um, his list of what he had accomplished and what he was doing in Philippians 3. He was was ahead of everybody else as far as being zealous for the Jews. But was he at peace with God while he was doing all this anti-Christ business? Was he at peace with God? What do you think, Brother Larry? Was Saul at peace with God while he was exercising all this zeal for the Jewish religion? In reality, he wasn't, but perhaps to himself, he in all good conscience thought he was doing right until he learned otherwise. Okay. Larry's saying that Saul thought he was doing right. Until he learned better. I also think though. That there was something within him. That was telling him. That was nagging at him. Where is the statement found in the book of Acts. Where uh, Jesus said to Saul. It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. You remember that? Let's see, Paul was telling about his conversion here in Acts, um, see if I can pick up on it, Acts 26, turn over there with me for a second, Acts 26, and he's telling about his conversion, I'm going to begin in Acts 26 and verse 12. 
He says, In this connection, our journey to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then notice what Jesus said to him. It is hard for you to kick against the pricks, against the goads. Brother Hester, what is, what is this Chris, pricks or goads he's talking about here in Acts 26? What do you think? Brother, uh, that's a good, good way of saying it. Brother Hester is saying uh, Saul is going to have to face reality for what he has done. Okay. And all this persecuting he's been doing, all this violence he's been bringing to innocent people, uh, it seems to me, um, even though he was sincere in it, and he was doing it at the, at the thought of um, the Jewish religion, still there was something in him saying, you know, I'm not so sure about what I'm doing. You know, um, that this is not uh, entirely right. That maybe his conscience has been bothering him. But we know that even though on the outside it appeared that he was uh, one of the brightest uh, Jewish leaders of his day, uh, on the inside he was not right uh, with God. Right. Yeah, the goats were these little uh, devices. They would keep the the oxes, ox in line, prick them, and so Saul and his work has been been hitting against that, you know. And so it, it, I think it points to at least some inner turmoil uh, there. Well, in Psalm seventy-three, you can certainly see that. Asaph makes his recovery starting there in verse uh, 23, or I should say verse 17. He said, when I finally considered uh, the end of these things, the end of the wicked, when I went into the sanctuary of God, when I really considered following God, learning about Him, knowing that He knows more about all this than me. Uh, he even says, when I stopped, talk, stopped acting like a beast, and started being more humble before God, uh, then that's when I began to make uh, understanding. I think it's an incredible uh, thought and recovery that Asaph has here in uh, Psalm 73. Let me encourage you to read the rest of that and just let that uh, sink deep into you. The way he ends the chapter 
He says, as for me, it's good to be near to God. I have made the Lord my refuge, and I will tell of all of his works. That's a great thought for us as well. Um, Are we near God? Have we made him our refuge? And are we willing to tell of his works uh, to others?